Good morning. My name is Miles Dow. I'll be doing the scripture reading today. Uh, I've been attending Linwood since I was about four years old. Uh, shout out my mom and dad for that. That's a big one. Uh, I will be reading Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 23, and then chapter 4, 1 through 13. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from the heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Uh, verse 1, chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, uh, ooh, I'm sorry. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up. Let you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the Lord of the Lord. That's you, Chris. That was not a flex. We just, we don't have stairs on our stage, so I've had to get good at that. Oh, so good to be here with you this morning with my toes that have not thawed out yet. My car's heat's broken. I'm too cheap to fix it. So there's a cold drive over here. But always a great homecoming to be here with you, the place where Jesus rescued me from sin, saved me as a high school student, and I'm a member here, whether you guys are willing to honor that membership or not. I, I'm a member right here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much this morning that we get to gather in your presence by the power of the Spirit, by the authority of your word. Lord, would you guard my heart this morning? These lights can be poisonous. Lord, I want my eyes to be laser-focused on your glory. But I can't do that on my own. I'm a prideful dude. And I need you to make me less self-conscious. I need you to make me less concerned about whether or not I appear intelligent, funny, or whatever. And more concerned that all eyes are pointed to you. Lord, season my words with salt by the power of your spirit that they might put a thirst in our hearts for more of you. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, you can walk right into the throne room of grace with confidence because of what Jesus has done for you. 
I ask you now to make the conscious choice by the power of the Spirit to put out any condemning thoughts, any distracting thoughts, and do what we're told in the Word, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Lord, we're looking for the miracle of sanctification this morning, that you might make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. As a disclaimer, before we get too deep into this, Chris Martin was my mentor, not only uh, in terms of discipleship, but also in regards to teaching. So anything you don't like about this teaching, <laughs> you go to him. So we know that Jesus became like us. He had a body and he still does. He, has all that come, he had all that comes with it as well. He was tempted as we are. And temptation is common to all of us, isn't it? Even, uh, even the, the least self-aware of us knows that we're tempted every single day. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.13 was one of the first, if not the first, verses that I memorized as a new believer at about 16 years of age. And I memorized it in the Living Bible, but it's, and it's just a portion, but it says, no temptation is irresistible. You can trust the Lord to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this. He will do what he says. He will show you how to escape. And what a great promise that is. No temptation is irresistible. Temptation is as human as walking or breathing, isn't it? It's everyday stuff. Maybe breathing is the only thing we do more. We see the obvious stuff like lust and rage and greed, the stuff that steals our lunch money. But we recognize the less obvious as well if we think about it, sometimes maybe lying on our beds at night. We see the temptations of the heart. For me, the temptation to soften my sin struggles to make them seem more palatable, since I'm a pastor and an older dude. Or maybe I'm tempted to pray a little louder or more passionately if I think that others are listening. Or if someone else is struggling with something I don't struggle with and I'm talking to them just in casual conversation or as a counselor, I might be tempted to gloat in my own mind with a sense of relief. Well, at least I don't struggle with that. I'm being tempted right now, I'm sure, in ways that I'm not aware of to appear a certain way before you, to cast myself in a certain light. And you're being tempted right now to check out and think about things that might be more desirable or more comfortable. I know because I've I sit where you sit and am tempted in the same way. But thank God that we have one who has been tempted in every way and is without sin. Isn't that crazy that we don't have to sin anymore? Romans 6 says that we're dead to sin. Now, before Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, around verse 16, it says that we couldn't discern the things of the Spirit. The, the idea of not sinning and following God seemed undesirable to us. But in that same chapter, it says that now in Christ, we have his mind. And that's where the battleground for temptation is, right? It's in the mind. And Jesus has cleared that ground for us that we might walk in freedom. Jesus was tempted in every way, but yet without sin. 
He shows us how to overcome temptation in the passage we just read this evening, this morning. Sorry, this message is also for Awaken tonight, so you might <laughs> catch that. In fact, it was written with that in mind, but I think the Word of God applies to all of us. So, so he showed us how to overcome temptation. You probably already guessed that in the long passage that was just read, I'm going to focus on Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, but I believe that whole section belongs together, including his baptism and uh, the lineage, the genealogy shared, and we'll get into that in a moment. But we need to remember that we're not just free to not sin, we're dead to sin, and we're alive to Christ. And Jesus shows us here in his own life, in his own temptation, how to do it. Isn't that awesome? He shows us how to overcome temptation with his own example, allowing Satan to actually physically lead him into temptation. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we're going to pause at different points and take note of Jesus' example. Because we see that Jesus prepares in his baptism, in that moment, for the temptation that's to come. The Son of God, God in the flesh, has to prepare for temptation. Isn't that crazy? That him being limited, made in every way like us, he had to prepare. So first I want to ask, why was Jesus baptized? You ever wondered that? Why was Jesus baptized? We just said in Romans 6 that we're dead to sin. In that same section, it says that at baptism, we're immersed in the water to identify with his death, and we're raised up out of the water to identify with his life. He's what baptism's all about. He's the symbol of baptism. He's the purpose of baptism. So why was he baptized? Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened up. So John, in this scenario, there's, there's all these people gathered. And uh, you, you read about that earlier in chapter 3. But there's all these people that are gathering from all over the place. A really large region is gathering. And people are coming out of the woodwork to be baptized and to repent of their sins, looking forward and saving faith to the coming Messiah, much like they did in the Old Testament. It was still that era, theologically speaking. So John does what any of us would do in this scenario when Jesus says, I want to be baptized. We read his response to Jesus' desire to be baptized in Matthew. It's, this detail is not recorded in Luke. Math, Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? It's a fair question, John. Right? We would all do the same. John, of course, knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And, of course, had no need to repent. He was the symbol of baptism, the reason for baptism. But Jesus was baptized for several different reasons, and we'll get into those. But he was baptized because he wanted and needed 
to identify with us in every way. And the people of God were called to be baptized, and so would he. It marks the beginning of Jesus' work. It's highlighted in Luke's other volume where, volume where he's recounting Judas's betrayal and suicide and the subsequent need to recruit new apostles. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Luke, the great historian, says, Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So this baptism marks the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And it's consistent with what we read in God's law in the book of Numbers, that Levites were initiated into their service role at the age of 30, and that Pharisees likely too were inaugurated into their position at age 30. But most importantly, Jesus was baptized because of how he responds to John's effort to deter him from getting baptized. Again, in Matthew's account, to fulfill all righteousness. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So all righteousness is what Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus was baptized into a different baptism than we were, though, wasn't he? He had to suffer to make his baptism for us possible. If he didn't suffer, there would be no resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, if that were the case, if that could possibly be the case, we should be pitied above all men. You might remember the Hebrews passage about this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, the writer there says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We're, of course, Abraham's descendants, the inheritors of the same promise that Abraham was given to be a part of God's sacred land and people that we have eternal access to. One day we'll see him face to face and fully realize that on the new earth. Jesus was made like us, human in every way, so that he might make atonement for our sins, climb in to our space, our world, and defeat the sin that seeks to destroy it. That's the righteousness he came to fulfill. He was tempted, but didn't succumb to sin. He who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He became sin. Do you catch that? Imagine the most heinous, un well, maybe you shouldn't imagine it, but the most heinous, unspeakable sin. He became that. We can't possibly understood, understand the suffering. The nails and the whip and the thorns were nothing in comparison to that. We will marvel at that sacrifice for all eternity, and I don't know if we'll be one moment closer to comprehending it. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. 
And then a few chapters later in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the payment has been made, the deposit paid in full for our sin. Jesus paid with his blood that the wrath of God might not come upon us. He paid with his blood that the massive penalty for sin might be resolved, might be paid. And it could only be God in the flesh giving his very life as a ransom. And he did this because of his great love for us and because he wanted to give us unlimited access to his throne of grace. That's why if condemning thoughts, worried thoughts, anxious thoughts, thoughts such as I don't deserve to enter into the presence of God or or surely God can't love someone like me, all of those demonic thoughts straight from the pit of hell have no place in your heart and mind because he died that you might enter into his throne room of grace with confidence in your time of need. We're baptized to demonstrate our salvation in him. He was baptized to mark the beginning of our path to salvation in him. In Hebrews 2, verse 10, speaking of Jesus, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. The pioneer of our salvation being who? Very good. Kind of weak, but it's still kind of early, I guess. It's cold outside. Yes, his baptism was different from ours, to be sure. It was one marked with suffering. At this baptism into suffering, his temptation in the wilderness was marked by victory. The first thing Jesus did to overcome temptation in this same verse we started in is he was victorious through prayer. Again, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up. Do you know why heaven opened up? Because of what we just read in Hebrews chapter 2. He has access to the throne room of grace. So when you pray, brothers and sisters, you don't need to conjure up prayers that sound intelligent or highly spiritual. You have access to the throne of grace as soon as you open your mouth in Jesus' name. Amen? Because of what he did. Because he opened the door. So Jesus prayed to overcome temptation, that he might have access to the throne of grace. Jesus prayed when big decisions were on the line in Luke chapter 6 before he chooses the 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 5, when he was in a especially trying period, he prayed. He withdrew to a quiet place to seek out the Father. But here he prays before he's tempted at the very start of his ministry. Isn't that amazing? The one we pray to prayed before he was tempted. Isn't that awesome? So what else did Jesus do to overcome temptation that we might learn from him? How else do we follow him, the pioneer of our faith, who marched through every temptation we could possibly face, yet was without sin? Hmm. Jesus was victorious over temptation because he was filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 22 And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So it says that the spirit descended on him. And a little later on, Luke wants us to get this because he emphasizes it all through his account, his historic account. In chapter four, verse one, for example, he says, Jesus, full of the spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. In the same account in Mark, it uses instead of the word led, it says he was sent by the Holy Spirit. Now, I got to take a parenthesis here, a timeout. Why would Jesus be led into temptation? Don't we pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? And here Jesus is shoulder to shoulder with the evil one, being led by the Spirit into temptation? This is crazy. Nowhere does Scripture any, record anyone being led in this way by the Spirit into temptation. Nowhere, except here with Jesus. Plus, James 1 tells us that God doesn't tempt anyone. Here's why. Jesus was led into temptation that we might be led out of it. That he is the pioneer of our faith, representative here in the wilderness, would go through all the temptation we face and rise victorious over it. Right here, right here, he shows that the throne room of grace is open to us in our time of need. But isn't it crazy I can't get over this. this. This to me, I don't know why this mystery stuns me so much. But Jesus had to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Because he was made like us in every way. And we need to be led and filled by the Spirit, do we not? Acts chapter 10, verse 37 you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So it says here that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. Why? So that he could be empowered to do the ministry that he was called to. It's awesome, isn't it? Because he left the church with the Holy Spirit when he ascended to the Father, we value both here at, and at Awaken the need to be empowered by the Spirit to do what God has called you to do. If your discouragement, depression, anxiety, raising kids, being single, being a witness at your work, being a missionary, uh, not being so self-conscious, you know it. You, you know, I mean, if that seems impossible to you to overcome, do you know it's supposed to? Because you and I need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is cry out. And the Lord will open the floodgates of heaven to us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We try to overcomplicate it. That's what the enemy wants to do, doesn't he? It's more complicated than that because you don't understand. No, we are in Christ. We've been adopted in full. And our right and privilege, it says in Ephesians, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And this is a key one. We have access to the throne of grace in our time of need. 
Along the same lines, Jesus was victorious over temptation because of the love of the Father. I say that because we know from Romans that, that one of the Holy Spirit's roles is to pour the love of Christ out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I love that too. Here's why. I can't possibly comprehend the love of Christ. Again, in Ephesians, it says how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, it's a, it's a mystery. It's so deep. It's so profound. Paul says that it's the love of Christ that compels us. That's one of my favorite verses. That compels us. It catapults us through temptation. And Jesus here, after the Holy Spirit descended on him in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, God says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. We need to know here, here and here, that Jesus is well pleased with us to overcome temptation. Otherwise, we're just we're white-knuckling it, trying, trying to get through it. Jesus knew he was loved by the Father. But I said, even the genealogy, we see Jesus' power over temptation. And this is an important one as well. Jesus was victorious over temptation because he was the new Adam. And you might want to scan Luke 23, verses 23 through 37. I'm actually going to try to read that tonight, and it's going to be ugly. Because uh, I'm trying to learn all those pronunciations. But it's, we have some serious Bible scholars in our midst, I'm sure here too. So I'm going to have to ask for their grace beforehand. It's impressive, uh, you know, because Luke is a master historian. He says in chapter 1 that his whole goal, it might be the book of the Bible that gives the, the most clear purpose statement in all of Scripture. He says that his goal is to create an orderly account from eyewitness testimony that this Theophilus guy he writes to, and all of us, uh, by way of application, uh, might know with certainty the things that Theophilus had been told about Jesus were true. So he's writing fact here, not fable, and he writes a careful account. And so he provides this genealogy to that end. But not just that. Uh, it's intentional in another way. It's not only a family lineage. Because whereas Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 begins with Abraham and moves forward to Jesus, Luke begins with Jesus and moves backward to Adam. Take a look there in your Bible. It ends with who? Adam. Luke's genealogy is the only one that does that. So knowing one of the major themes in Luke, if you were at Awaken, I would say, why do you think Luke does this? So I'll give you a hint. The gospel is for fill in the blank. And awaken tonight, better say, or it's going to be a judgment of my lack of clarity in my teaching, better cry out, the gospel is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. It was very important that Luke make that known. The Spirit led him to do just that. So Matthew deals with Jesus' lineage in connection with his Jewish heritage, but it goes all the way back to Adam in Luke. All the way back to Adam. The first Adam was tempted in a beautiful, perfect garden and failed. And we along with him have done the same, right? We share the first Adam's spiritual DNA, you might say, right? We became sinners because of his choice to sin. We all made the same one. 
like a cancer, it spread to all of us. But Jesus overcame temptation because he was the God in the flesh. The last Adam was in a dangerous wilderness and he succeeded and was victorious on our behalf. He is the only one, therefore, who could overcome sin and withstand all temptation thrown at him. We can only walk in victory because he's the pioneer of our faith. It's not about our own efforts. It's because we needed God in the flesh to defeat sin on our behalf. Again, Jesus continues in his baptism of suffering here that he might conquer sin and death for us. We'll see here that suffering always comes before glory in God's economy. Not because God is a masochist, but because uh, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And you know, the Lord will make sure we experience his weakness one way, or our weakness that we might discover strength in him one way or another. By allowing this broken world, either from our own choices or the choices of others, to come crashing down on us that we might discover his gentleness, and his grace, and his healing. We see Jesus employing these spiritual weapons to conquer temptation in the specific ways that he was tempted in the wilderness. And up until this point, we see his preparation. We see the spiritual weapons that he's grabbing hold of, right? We talked about those, being led by the Spirit. He was the second Adam. Uh, he, he experienced and walked in the love of the Father. But now we're going to break down his temptations through the lens of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, because I feel like it gives us the broad categories of temptations, the types of temptations we face. All can fall into the categories mentioned in 1 John 2, 16. So the categories, the types in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. World here in both instances is referring to sin. It's not referring to rivers, rocks, and grasses, and fields, and it's not referring to that, the stuff in the world, the physical makeup in the world. And it's referring to all types of sin because it says everything in the world. So all types of sin can be broken down into the stuff we see or the pleasures that we desire or want that we try to get outside of or instead of God. Sexual lusts, wanting physical possessions, and you know, the list goes on and on. So the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes are the first two categories. Then the third that you'll see Jesus struggle with here, or, or face, overcome, is the pride of life. Pride we have in our possessions and our achievements. So Jesus' temptation breaks down into these categories and so do ours. But in all of them, one is mentioned repeatedly as a weapon that he grabs hold of. And this one too, just, man, it just gets me and makes me chuckle every time and just how great God is. Jesus was victorious over temptation because he claimed scripture. We see this in every instance of, him tempta- of his temptation in the wilderness. The other, mention, the other uh, weapons like prayer, the love of Christ, and the anointing of the Spirit allowed Jesus to wield the word of God 
with power. So Jesus' first temptation is physical pleasure. In Luke chapter 4, verse 2, it says, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So this is that first category referred to as the lust of the flesh in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He was hungry. I mean, this was the most basic and simple, sinful solution to his problem. He was hungry and the enemy's offering him bread. Jesus, if you just use your power to turn these stones into bread, you'd feel better. But the solution was to skip suffering. And that's always the temptation, isn't it? But what does Jesus say? He says, man does not live on bread alone. And in another gospel, it finishes that off, but by the very word of God. It reminds me of a favorite passage of many in this room. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2. The prophet Isaiah says there, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Man, for Jesus to believe that God was better than that necessary physical pleasure of eating in that moment, that God was better, that what he offered would offer more pleasure to him than what the enemy was holding out. How are you and I being tempted by ungodly pleasures? When I was younger, it was pretty easy to spot. It was lust, it was alcohol, it was all these things, overindulgence. You know what it is now? Comfort, taking it easy, coasting, avoiding risk. I just know too much now. When I was, I mean, I think of the first time that I taught on this stage. I didn't know back then what all this would cost me. Now I know. (laughs) Anyway. So Jesus continues to fight temptation using the word of God set on fire by the Holy Spirit. His second temptation, again, using the word of God, the lust of the eyes in Luke chapter four, verse five, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I can't go into all the context here, but we do know from John chapter 12 that the enemy was given an amount of authority, a limited amount of authority over the world for a time. And we're obviously in that time now. But John 1 says that God created the world through Jesus. And we could go to so many places in scripture where clearly Jesus will have ultimate authority over the world. Like in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, this is speaking of what's yet to happen, what we look forward to in our story of redemption. Revelation 5, verse 12, in a loud voice, they, that is these heavenly creatures, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It says here that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them will worship the lamb. But see, the enemy's temptation was glory without God and no suffering. And Jesus was baptized into a path of suffering that he might be the pioneer of our faith and rise gloriously and victorious over sin and death. Every time here he goes, just as a fun fact, he goes to Deuteronomy. He goes to Deuteronomy. I'm not going to close that thought, just fun fact. And he responds, worship the Lord God and serve him only. I love the way Jesus here, catch this, folks. Don't miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Because some of you are very self-conscious and you compare yourself to other believers who you think are more mature than you. And you think, well, I can't claim the scriptures, Chris, because I don't know them as well as this person or that person. Jesus shares just little simple phrases from God's word. I mean, worship the Lord God and serve him only. Can you remember that one? Man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. Don't you love that? The Lord's prayer, it's so simple, you know? It's so simple. The physical pleasure of sex outside of the glory of God displayed in marriage. The lure of security and wealth instead of working hard as worship under the Lord. Seeking security in how you look on the outside instead of who God's made you on the inside. All of these are temptations we face similar to what Jesus faced here. Then last, Jesus was victorious over temptation, again, because he claimed scripture. This is his third temptation. His This was the pride in possessions and achievements from 1 John 2. In Luke chapter 4, verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan's quoting Psalm 91, so he's upping his ante here. He's using scripture to try to tempt Jesus. The word made flesh, right? He's trying to tempt Jesus with scripture, trying to manipulate and malign God's word and appealing to what? Pride. Trying to tempt Jesus with pride. If you are the son of God, But see, Jesus knows all of God's word because he is the word made flesh. He knows it all. So he responds with the whole of scripture, not just bits and portions. You know, that's how Christian cults get started. Taking a truth, then justifying sin through it. 
One that we hear all the time, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. Well, because God is love, I can do whatever I want with my body, inside of marriage, outside of marriage, whatever, because it's love as the world defines it. But that wasn't the end for Jesus' temptation, was it? In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It wasn't over. We can't imagine, Hebrews says, the temptation that Jesus faced because he never succumbed. See, we always give in. So the pressure valve is relieved. Right? It just kept mounting on Jesus, and probably my, my, what I envision in my mind's eye is it became more uh, direct and it, uh, uh, acutely connected by the enemy to ways in which Jesus might struggle because he was susceptible, he was human, he was tempted in every way, and that means that his temptations were actually tempting, right? But he never sinned. We're to be aware of the enemy's schemes in our lives, the scripture says. So how are you and I tempted? The lust of the flesh, that's physical pleasure. The lust of the eyes, stuff we want. Pride in possessions or accomplishments. We have one who is tempted in every way and without sin because he was God in the flesh, victorious over it. Because he allowed himself to be led into temptation that he might conquer it, that we might be able to flee from temptation. Jesus needed to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He needed to be aware of the Father's love for him. Do you know that? Do you know what it is to be led by the Spirit? I'll tell you where it starts. Jesus, lead me. Folks, I'm speaking to you who maybe a lot of this has gone over your head now. And man, you're in it. You're addicted to pornography. You can't stop drinking. You're so apathetic, you don't give a rip about your faith. You've been coasting for a long time. I've been there. In all of those places, I've been there. It starts with, Jesus, lead me. Lead me. It starts with allowing yourself to be led and empowered by the love of Christ, as Paul was, who said that it's the love of Christ that compels us. Therefore, one died for all, and all died. So to be led by the love of Christ, how do you start there? How do you start there? You know what I would encourage you to do? Get into the story of Jesus, specifically in John, the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17. And you see this amazing, powerful, beautiful interaction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you to do that. Just start reading that. Read it over and over. And ask God's Spirit to lead you. 
Find a trusted Christian friend or the closest thing you have to that. Maybe in this church, in your home group or elsewhere, your life group or elsewhere, and ask them to help you. I'm going to stop there. Okay, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you are our new Adam. That because of you, we're a new creation. The old has gone. The old has gone. The old has gone, your word says. And the new has come. That's true, Lord. That is true. as we enter into a time of remembering your broken body and shed blood, we announce that to our own soul, that we are new because of your work as the new Adam. We thank you, Lord, that we can be victorious because you are the pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we follow you because you followed us all the way to the edge of hell that you might capture and rescue us out of it. In Jesus' name.